I would rather be a part of a faceless generation. I would rather him be known than me. I'm nothing special. I'm just another like white trash kid from Irving, Texas. Uh, there's literally nothing special about me. But at the same time, it's pretty cool tonight. The Lord broke me down over here because he reminded me of like these moments when I was a kid, when I was the age of these young men on the back row back here. And I would watch guys come in. You see, back then, when I grew up, our, our church was hot and juicy, and, and it was revival. And I'm, I'm talking like people running around the sanctuary and having service till 10 o'clock at night. And we're going to do our best to get you out of here at 7.30, 7.45. And, and we would have church all night. We would have church all the time. And kids today, they gripe about going to church. They have no idea what it's like. Because back in the 80s and the 90s, we had church. And I remember it, my wife's dad was our pastor. I remember him bringing in guys from South Africa and Australia, mate. And in all of these different countries, South Africa and Australia and New Zealand. And these guys would come in. I thought they were so cool. And I was like, man, maybe one day, that one day I, I, I want to do what they do. And the Lord broke me down right here. And he's like, God, that you're doing the dream that I put in your heart when you were a teenager. I was like, whoa, I am that guy now. I was like, how cool would it be for me and my wife to travel and to speak and to fire people up and bring revival? You know that word revival just simply means to live again. To live again. And so now I step into that and I want to say thank you for over the top, nice hotel, nice food. Uh, in, the Indian food today was just over the top nice. And before I didn't like Indian food and after today I like Indian food. They changed my heart on that. And it, it's just been awesome, Pastor Matt, to come and to be a part of what's going on here. I walked out of today with two services that were packed full. And to God be the glory for this man and woman of God for taking a step of faith to come to Laramie, Wyoming for revival so that these can live again, so that this church could live again. And it's obvious that the bones are coming back together and there's breath coming in them and there's no telling what can happen as you take care of your pastor and your pastor takes care of you. And what a beautiful metrical relationship that is as together the staff of this church and you, the people of this church, move together. And so nothing but prayer is coming from us towards you in the days and months to come on what God's going to do through this family and through you. Amen. So Pastor Matt, and Moses, thank you for helping us get here. We are honored, honored, honored to be here. I want to start tonight um, with, with, with a thought. Over the Christmas break, I watched two movies. I don't normally go to movies. I don't normally watch movies. I, if it doesn't have a ball in it, I normally don't turn the TV on. A little white ball, a big orange ball, a brown weird shaped ball. If it doesn't have a ball in it, the TV normally doesn't come on for me. I don't like to waste my time on all the other stuff going on. So I don't watch Star Trek and Star Wars and all the Avenger stuff. I've never watched any of that stuff. And I'm not condemning you if you do. I'm just saying you're a little bit weird. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I don't usually watch a whole lot of the stuff. And In fact, part of the movie dynamic of me it has to fit in this category number one it has to be based on real events like a true story or number two it's got to be the exact opposite like a cartoon like the incredibles like uh like you've seen these uh, animated movies by dreamworks and disney like i love those and i love real life well over the christmas break i watched two movies one just mercy which is about an alabama court case where there was a young lawyer that came out of harvard anybody heard of it before anybody like wait me here yeah my wife and i went and watched it and it was about this alabama court case where there was a guy on death row that was like on death row about to die that was innocent and there was this young lawyer that came in that was trying to fight for everything on this innocent man and make him free 
The second movie I watched over the break was a movie called Dark Waters. And this one messed me up because it was about a small town, poor town, rural country town in West Virginia where there was this big mega corporation called DuPont that had chemicals and were violating all of these laws and all these regulations and dumping chemicals into wastelands that was getting into the people's water. So babies were starting to have birth defects, cows in these Farmlands were starting to drop, die. One farmer had over 200 cows die. And there were all these people that were raising their hand and saying, something wrong is happening. We've got to do something. And no one would fight it. No one would go up against this great company called DuPont. But there was this one young lawyer. There was a young lawyer in Just Mercy that was going against all odds. No one wanted to fight for the black people in South Alabama. But he says, I'll take them on. Why? Because there's justice that needs to be had. There was no one that wanted to go up against big DuPonts. And yet this one young lawyer comes and fights because he saw the devastation he saw the hurts. He went and was at the farmer's house and saw the dead cows. He was there among them. And both of these young lawyers fought against all odds, against their lives, at the ruin of almost their families and marriages. I would almost say as I watched those movies, they were possessed by this mission to free a people. And I walked out of both of those movies and go, whoa, 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 wait, am, am I that consumed with my mission that I'm willing to risk everything to free a people? And I so consumed that I will stay up so late and get up so early that this mission inside of me has possessed me the same way it did that Harvard lawyer and the same way it did that West Virginia lawyer. It is that passion inside of me. And have you ever stopped to wonder? about crazy people maybe that are on these walls that felt the call of God to maybe go to India. I met a nice Indian lady today that says she never wants to go back to India. That place is crazy. There's too many people. It's too hot. There's people everywhere. They're lunatics. She said she likes it right here in Laramie. Have you ever thought about why young people, a family, maybe a family of two or three with small children would, would go over to dark, deep places like Pakistan, Iran? Like what would possess them? Somebody to go plant a church in Chicago or L.A.? You've got to be out of your mind, don't you? Like what is inside of them that would push them and possess them to go and do something against all odds? I have to believe that they themselves have found the sweet spot in their life, which is called purpose. They have found somehow through the hand of God or outside of that, whether it's the lawyer in Alabama or the lawyer in West Virginia, a purpose in their life that is bigger than money, that is bigger than titles, that they found purpose because they've seen, number two, a devastation that is unjust. And they're willing to do everything to go to complete the call, to complete the mission, to fight as hard as they can, to work as hard as they can, to bring justice for their cause. And where there is purpose, there is always responsibility. And if you will look at young people today, most of them are void of those two words because purpose and responsibility go together to create and complete a great work. I'm sick and tired, side note, of 30-year-old men still playing video games all night and not taking purpose for their life. Because where there's purpose, there's responsibility. And what we need today is a bunch of young people, a bunch of church families, a bunch of pastors to rise up out of purpose. And with the purpose come responsibility to change the land, to change their cities, 
to change the culture and bring people back to God. I want to be one of those people that stand up with great purpose and responsibility to champion a cause of reaching young people in public schools across Texas. There's a reason why I'm 41, balding, middle-aged, and white guy, and still should have been out of youth ministry, but still standing up in gymnasiums, in auditoriums, in football fields, and still declaring that God is good to a generation of young people. Why? Because I found my purpose, and I'm walking with responsibility. Don't you want to be one of those people? And it doesn't mean you have to be in full-time ministry. You can be a doctor, a lawyer, a veterinarian, a school teacher, a coach. You can work as a janitor. You can work down at the Walmart. It doesn't matter what you are. It, what matters is your purpose that's connected to responsibility. Yeah. It reminds me way back in the biblical times of a time when Jerusalem, one of the times, as we know many times, Jerusalem was completely destroyed. And all of God's people, the Jews, the sons and daughters of the king, were moved out of this region, and they were exiled to places like Babylon. They were all away. Why? Because their city laid in ruins. It was completely annihilated and destroyed. And yet, about 70 years after the destruction, the annihilation, King Cyrus rises up and he sounds a decree that all of the Israelites, the people from Jerusalem, could come back and start rebuilding the city. Purpose. How crazy is it that in that moment, God would raise up three young men, three young men, maybe under the age of 25, teenagers, to come back to their home city that had been annihilated and destroyed by the enemy and began to rebuild. Those three teenagers, if you will, were young men named Zerubbabel, the second one was Nehemiah, and the third one was Ezra. They had seen the devastation, felt the purpose of God, and went to responsibility to begin to rebuild. Zerubbabel comes back, and if you know your history in the Bible, Zerubbabel came back, and his purpose was to rebuild God's church, or back then they called it the temple. His mission was to rebuild God's house, and this was his method, to come in and start with the altar and worship. And I think what a great method that would be for us to begin to rebuild our churches today with the altar and prayer and consecration and sacrifice and with worship under him. And Zerubbabel came back with purpose and responsibility and rebuilt the city through the temple and the church of God. Powerful. The second teenager that came in was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's purpose was what? The wall. That his job was to build this wall around the city for protection, for safety, for recognition. That Nehemiah came in and rebuilt this wall, and he did it in a world's book record breakneck pace of 52 days. He rebuilt the city wall. Oh, come on. He was like that Southern Alabama lawyer. He was like that West Virginia lawyer. He came in with a deadbeat passion and motto and said, we're going to work day and night. And this was his strategy. He said, hey, guys, we're going to work day and night. And we know that as we work, we're going to build. But we also know that the enemy's going to come in and going to attack, right? He's going to try to stop the fast pace that we're on. And so he told his workers to put a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. And this is what he told them. I want you to build and fight. Build and fight. Build and fight. And what a cool symbol or illustration for us today as we live in a very divided culture that we also have to build the house of God while also fighting off the enemy who's trying to keep us down and keep this thing small. 
But even a great strategy for us as parents to send your kids to public school, you know that you got to build and you got to fight. You got to build and you got to fight. I heard someone say one time that every day when they come home from school, you got to like get some soap and wash off all the junk that has been on their life all day, all the things they've heard, all the things they've seen, all the things they've been taught. And so, what a great strategy for us as parents to build and fight and build and fight. And Nehemiah came in with purpose. Then I'm going to rebuild this wall, and he did it in 52 days. Wow. The third young man, teenager, that came in with purpose and responsibility was Ezra. Ezra came in, and his job was not the wall. It was not the church. It was actually the word of God and community. And how beautiful we see that those two really go together. That where the word of God is, there needs to be community built around us. I don't know where we got this in America. Maybe from our individualistic teaching. Maybe from the capitalistic mindset. But for some reason, we in the church have put all the pressure on the pastor to be the only one that can hear from God. The only one that can speak God's truth. The only one. The only one. And then we, we haven't really said it out loud. But this is what we've told you. That you've got to go home by yourself and study. Study and pray and do it all alone. And we often stink when it comes to alone, don't we? My daughter runs cross country and she started back in June in high school. She's a freshman. She found out that she was going to have to, over the summer, get up every day from 6 o'clock to 6.30 and go anywhere from 5 to 12 miles every day, every day. No days off except for Sunday, all throughout the heat of summer. Do you understand in Texas, it gets to be 110, 112 degrees in the middle of summer? And my daughter's getting up at 6 a.m., 6.30 in the morning. And then you're thinking, oh, it's probably like in the 40s. No, 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 no. In the middle of July and August, even at 6 o'clock in the morning, it can be 85 to 88 degrees and my daughter's out there just pounding it pounding it pounding it and this is what my daughter said she said dad i will never go to camp and run alone again it's too hard but if i go and run 12 miles with four of my friends eight of my friends ten of my friends i will do it any day but to do it alone it's almost impossible and so it is with us studying the word of god and getting god's word in our heart and truth if we would just start doing it together it would be so much easier we go so much further and so his job, Ezra, was to come in and rebuild the word of God along with community and how they both go together. And here was his strategy. Remember, Zerubbabel's strategy was worship in the altar. Come on, Nehemiah's was tool in one hand, weapon in the other. Here, maybe my favorite line in all the scripture beyond salvation is this. I'm a simple guy, so this breaks it down really simple. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, this is what it said he did. This was his strategy. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach its statutes and rules in all of Israel. Did you hear the simple plan? His plan to rebuild God's word and community was to study the word, do the word, and share the word. It's almost like what we talked about this morning, right? Almost like a little review of the woman at the well. She had an encounter with God. She understood his teachings, and then she told everyone about it. And Ezra's saying the same thing way, 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 thousands of years before this woman at the well was even around. Ezra said, if I'm going to rebuild, I've got to study it, I've got to do it, and I've got to share it. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? In fact, if we weren't to get anything else from tonight, that, that simple strategy is what should really guide our hearts and lives from these days forward. We're going to study it, we're going to do it, and we're going to share it. We're going to study it, we're going to do it, we're going to share it. Study, you know. Come on, we've got to get our nose in this Bible. And the further and further as a culture we move away from God, the more and more we have to have the compass, the life lessons. Come on, the biblical standard in our culture about what's right and what's wrong. And then we can't just study it. We've got to start to live it out. If the Bible says to love our enemies, we've got to love our enemies. If the Bible says to honor the authority, no matter if they're Republican or Democrat, 
Democrat, we've got to honor the authority that above us. Come on, we've got to be ruled by love, and we've got to be ruled by patience, and we've got to be kind to one another and help each other out. Come on, all of these things that are in the Bible, they're so practical and real, and yet we as a culture, we as young people, we as an older culture, we are the most biblically illiterate culture of the church that we've ever had. We're dumb. I'm not just talking about you or you. Like I'm talking about as the church. We're dumb to the things of God and the stories of God. It's amazing how many even small children in church today don't know Noah and the ark or Daniel and the lions did or the three Hebrew children or some of the great stalwart stories of faith that we haven't been teaching or telling them because why most of our churches aren't preaching the word anymore they're telling great TED talks and they're giving great life lessons nothing more than MLM motivational messages for you to go be good and prosper and we push this like prosperity gospel upon you that you're supposed to just have a blessed life and blessed life and blessed life and get the red Tesla and get the 6,000 square foot home while all the while God is teaching us in his word that there's something more than that there's purpose and responsibility and when we study and do it, we have a life full of purpose. Are you following me today? Yet, we in the church, honestly, as much as hard criticism we can give, we're still church people. We're still pretty good at knowing the Word of God. We know the Ten Commandments. We know what Paul said in his writings. We walk through it. Most of us know those stories, but where we really stink is that third part. Sharing. We can study. We can do Most of us in the room. We're not going to go kill someone tonight after service. We're not going to go rob the bank. We're not going to go hold up Walmart, right? We're, we're not going to go probably cheat on our wives or go get loopy drunk and kill somebody in a drunk driving accident, right? We're probably not going to do any of those things. Why? Because we've studied and we've done, and we're probably pretty good in the outside model Christian people. But when it comes to that third component, we really do stink. That's good, preach. Thank you. Can I be honest? It's one of the hardest things of our faith, and I don't know why. Why is it so hard that when we've had an encounter with Christ, maybe we haven't had an encounter with Christ, but that woman at the well, she didn't even think about it. She didn't have to go to a Sunday school class. She didn't have to go to a small group. She just had an encounter with him, and she went and told everyone. And the Lord told me just in the last decade, he said, Kyle, your faith is not final until you share it. And think about it. Speaking on a public stage makes me a better Christian. Why? Because I have to be more accountable for the words that come out of my mouth. In fact, if you want to be really accountable, get married and have kids because everything you say, everything you do is mocked like a little parrot or puppy dog because you then become the chief example, good or bad. We've got to study it. We've got to do it. We've got to share it. And our faith is not final until we share it. And to be honest with you, I get to speak in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people every single year. And yet, when I get up in front of a gym in just a few weeks, I'll be in front of 1,500 students in a school gym, and I'm going to be ready. My DJ, my little sound guy over here, he's going to be ready. They're going to play video. They're going to be the mic. And I'm going come on, come on. I'm going to just go crazy and wow, throw all of these thousands of kids. And I promise you, there will not be one nervous bone in my body. I will not be over on the side like, ooh, there's butterflies. Ooh, what am I going to say? What are they going to think about me? Are they going to think I'm a weirdo? Like, I, like, none of it. Dude, I would just get the mic and I would go crazy. I have no problem speaking on a stage in a big church, a small church, preaching. Not very few times does nervousness come in my body. But ask me to go up to my neighbor across the street, talk to him about Jesus. I turned into a little girl. 
All of a sudden, I've gone into pre-puberty and my voice starts creaking. <laughs> I give God every excuse. God, they, they've got things to do. They probably are. We, we use this one a lot, don't we? They probably already go to church. They seem like good people. God, they, they've got 401k accounts and boats and they got all this stuff. They, they got, they're probably going to watch a good TV show tonight. They're going to watch something bad. They're going to watch something good. And we give God all the excuses, don't we? And God is saying your faith is not final until you share it. Why? Because there's something about releasing what's inside of you, what you've studied and you've done, to then give it to someone else that makes the cycle of Christianity 360. In fact, we're only two-thirds full if we've only studied and only done. But we become full when we share our faith. Yeah, we get so scared, tripped up. You know where it's almost honestly hardest? In our own family. It's sometimes easier to walk up to a stranger in... McDonald's over by the quarter pounders, right? It's easier to go into Walmart and stand over by the bananas and the oranges and the apples and be like, hey, you know Jesus? And then why is it, why is it so awkward that when we do bring up Jesus, it's almost like a dirty word? Because culture has taught us to keep Jesus here in this church. They've taught us that Jesus is a dirty word. In fact, I could probably get up in a school and say the F word and I'll, I'll talk all kinds about crazy stuff and I wouldn't even have a problem. But I say the name Jesus and they're putting me on the noose. And yet we, the church, have bought into the lie that we're to keep Jesus here. Why is it it's so hard to sometimes talk to our mom and dad about Christ? Sometimes even our own sons and daughters and grandkids. Why is it so hard to talk to our coworkers that we're with all the time? Why is it? Why, why are we sometimes more passionate about what the Cowboys are doing or the Broncos are doing about what we saw? Why is it so easy to walk up to somebody? Did you hear about LeBron James dying? Oh, no, he didn't die. The, False news, fake news, fake news. <laughs> Kobe Bryant dying? Can you believe it? Oh, man, we begin to cry and sob. We tell everyone like if they haven't heard, but we never would go up and talk about Jesus dying. In fact, so many people would call it a cliche. <clears throat> you said you just put on the Jesus juke, right? You're talking about all this stuff, and then all of a sudden you went, Err! and you turned it to Jesus, and then it becomes really awkward, doesn't it? Why? Why? Why is it? Why, Why has it become awkward for us? I want to tonight, just in the next few moments, tackle two stories in the book of Acts that, number one, deals with loneliness, and number two, deals with awkwardness. Because when you do step out of your box to share your faith, it is sometimes lonely, and it is often awkward. And we've got to get beyond that. If we're going to grow this church, if we're going to grow our faith, if we're going to grow ourselves, we've got to step out of those boxes. So I want to go to Acts chapter 8 real quick. Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to deal a little bit with this loneliness, and I want you to see some strategy on sharing your faith, because I promise you, I promise you, it's easier for me to get up in front of a thousand people and preach than it is to go talk to my neighbor. In fact, as you're turning to Acts chapter 8, a couple of years ago, God challenged me. I was riding my bicycle, me and Matt, we used to ride our bicycles all the time. I was riding my bicycle around the corner of my street, and God said this, Kyle, it's really cool that you go around all over the nation, all over the state of Texas, and you challenge people to share their faith, but you've never even done it on your street, in your neighborhood, and you lived there 15 years now. Now, 16 years, you've never done that. And I was like, whoa, God, you can just calm down right now. I'm doing a really good work for you, and I'm just trying to go home and eat some mashed potatoes and some grilled chicken, right? And God interrupted my life and said, Kyle, you will start a men's Bible study on your street and scared to death. 
Go talk to a principal at a 6A high school about bringing Jesus into the school. I'd do it any day. But go talk to my neighbor when he's out mowing his lawn with his shirt off. Hey, man, you want to come to my Bible study and talk about Jesus? We'll have cupcakes. <laughs> Super awkward, isn't it? But I did it. Monday nights at halftime of the football game. We would watch the first half, and then after the first half, we would shut the TV off, and for an hour, this is what we do. We would literally open the Bible and go through chapter a week. we just go through a chapter and a chapter and a chapter, and this is all I do. I didn't come with some message, some big, fat, juicy, yelling, screaming service like I'm doing here. I didn't have like fill in the blank with all these little points and stuff. No, no, no. We opened the Bible, and I let them ask questions, and we began to walk them through how to be a better father, how to be a better husband, how to be a man of God, how to share your faith, how to love on God, and how to be better in life as a Christian. And man, some weeks we had two or three. Some weeks we had four or five. A couple of weeks we had eight or nine. But what I'm telling you is, is I got out of my comfort zone and it was extremely awkward and I saw God move in the lives of men on my streets. Wow. If I could get up in front of teenagers and tell them to go start Bible clubs at the campus, why couldn't I start one in my neighborhood? And I did it and it was so rewarding. And this is the way, this is the way, these are some things that I've learned along the way and I want to share with you. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we're going to read a few scriptures here. It says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go down south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Everyone say desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning and was seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the book of Isaiah, and he asked him the question, do you understand what you're reading? And the man inside the chariot, the high official with all the authority said, how can I? You, you got to love this right here. This gives us job security. Matt, this is why we have job security. He says this, how can I understand unless someone guides me? One translation says, unless someone preaches to me. All right. Then he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. And the passage of scripture that this official was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. For who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip, watch this, opened his mouth. And began with scripture, and he told them the good news of Jesus. He opened his mouth, and he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with this Ethiopian eunuch for the very first time. A lonely road. I want you to see his steps. I won't go long. I want you to see his steps here because, first of all, first things first, Philip heard the voice of the Spirit and told him, go to a place. We have to have our ears open, eyes open, ready to hear God to speak to us on where to go, what to do. For me just to walk up tonight into Walmart, get in the Pop-Tart aisle, and start yelling and screaming that Jesus is coming back. Y'all dying and going to hell. Y'all need to repent and get down to New Life Church right now with Pastor Matt. Probably most of that would fall on deaf ears. There may be one or two that would connect with that and come. Why? Because the Spirit probably didn't lead me. The Spirit will always lead you to places of success. So, so first and foremost, Philip had his ears open to where the Spirit was going to take him. And where did he take him? Unfortunately, to a dark desert place. Ah! 
Why doesn't he take us to good places, right? Why is it not always easy, but he sent him to a desert place where it was lonely and he was isolated and he had to do it himself. Listen, when it comes to sometimes the things of God, sometimes it is a lonely path and road and we've got to get beyond that and be strong and stand up despite if no one follows us. In fact, if we were to have a big celebration in the church and say, hey, next Sunday night, we're going to watch the Super Bowl. We're going to have free pizzas. We're going to have giveaways. In fact, we're going to have a car. We're going to give away a car. We're going to draw a name for a brand new car, a Tesla, a red Tesla. You're going to want to come. I guarantee you this place would be absolutely full. But if next Sunday night we didn't say we're having a Super Bowl night, we said, hey, we're going to go out to the city of Laramie, and we're going to knock doors and pass out flyers, and we're going to talk to people about Jesus, there might be five shows. Isn't it funny? Sometimes we've got to press through the loneliness to get to where God wants us to go, where the Spirit is leading. So Philip, Philip, he heard the Spirit say, go down this place. I just got a picture. He didn't know what was going to happen next. He just said, go. So he's like walking around Walmart. He's looking at the Pop-Tart aisle. He's in the bread section. He's looking at the dairy, looking at the frozen yogurts. Come on, he's looking at those drumstick ice creams. He's just looking around, looking around, looking around. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this desert, the Spirit speaks again and says, do you see that chariot? Yeah, God, it's big. It's juicy. It's rich people. That that has to be a high official. And he finds out that it was. It was a high official from Ethiopia that had all of this power and all this influence, all this wealth. And the Spirit spoke to Philip. You follow me? If the Spirit spoke once, the Spirit spoke twice. The Spirit then led Philip to what? Go get up next to it. So my buddy in the hat, the cowboy hat, come sit up here with me. You're going you're gonna to be in this chair with me for a second. He, he's going to be the Ethiopian. Okay? You just come sit in this chair for me right now because I want to illustrate this point really, really well for you. So the Spirit told Philip to go get up next to. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, get on top of him and start preaching and yelling and screaming and hollering and make signs and picking and telling him he's going to hell. No, 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 no. He said, just go get up next to. He said, walk beside. So can you picture it? There's like this big, long stretch Hummer limo, if you will, the chariot that's going down, not 60 miles an hour, but at a mule's pace, a horse's pace. And so Philip just starts walking alongside, just walking alongside, walking alongside. He's like, what am I doing, God? Why did you send me over here? I look like a real messed up dude. I am weird right now. I am out of my mind walking alongside. Well, as he begins to walk alongside, as the Spirit told him, what did he hear? He heard inside something that connected with him. He was reading what? The book of Isaiah. So all of a sudden, ding dong, lights flashing. I'm a prophet, a man of God that understands the word. He's reading something I know. So all of a sudden, we have something in common. Watch this, Philip. Just ask one question. Didn't preach the message. Didn't pull out his Bible. Didn't have a fill-in-the-blank sheet where you fall after me and all the points start with P. I got purpose and passion. <laughs> right? Didn't have any of that stuff. He just said, get up next to and ask the question. Do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? Not, are you going to heaven or hell? Do you go to New Life Church? Have you ever been baptized in water? Have you ever learned the Levitical law? He didn't ask any of that condemning stuff. He just said, do you understand what you're reading? And this Ethiopian inside said, how, how can I know unless someone shows me? Unless I have a guy. Oh, come on, ding dong. This is our job and responsibility to then, to then watch this, to then get in the chariot. Watch the invitation. Who invited who into the chariot? The Ethiopian invited 
the preacher, Philip, to get in. So he opens the door. Come on, scoot your little cheeks over. Wrinkle one feet, one feet. And he gets in. On whose invitation? His. Why? This is non-threatening. This is not like judgmental. He invited. You know what we need to do as Christians? We need to get invited more. Is your life so appealing? Is there something so cool about you with your walk with Christ that there's love oozing from you and grace and passion and mercy and responsibility that people are inviting you in? You see, Jesus never pounded anyone's door. In fact, Jesus was always in parties and places of sinners and people that needed him. And who made the invite? They did. Jesus was invited sad part is, in most cultures and cities and towns, we, we're not getting invited. We've got to become a people to get invited. So he, he invites them in. They begin to sit down. He says, hey, let's look at this word. And they begin to read the word together. Here's the preacher. Here's the man that needed. And watch this. He opens his mouth and he shares the gospel. After he was invited in. Are you following me? What am I talking about? This is the strategy, a lonely road often, that where we're standing, oh, I've got so many stories and I don't have time. But when we're on the sidelines of soccer games, when I'm walking down the fairways of golf courses, I'm walking, are you seeing? Come on, get up with me, blood. We're just walking along side by side. I'm not preaching, man. I wasn't in Laramie Lot Wyoming last weekend. I don't have these great sermons. I don't have a podcast and a YouTube channel. Come on, we're just walking alongside each other. And what begins to happen? I find a point of commonality, something they're going through, something that happens in their life that I can connect with. And that point of commonality opens the door for me then to ask a question. Not preach a message. This is the way we've got to do evangelism today. We can't get up and beat each other on the head. We've got to come next to, we've got to get next to people in society, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and begin to see the points of interest and then ask questions. And then through the questions, them invite us in. Well, can I tell you back in August this last year, I was saying in the fairways in Garland, Texas at Firewall Golf Course, and one of the other junior golfers' dad comes to me, and we're walking side by side. His sons are playing golf. He says, Kyle, can I talk to you? He doesn't even really know what's going on with who I am. He says, Kyle, I just found out last week that my dad has stage four lymphoma cancer, and he doesn't have much time to live. And can I tell you, two grown men, hair under our arms, hair under our chest, found ourselves under an oak tree on the eighth hole of that golf course, and I began to pray for him, and we were crying, tears in our eyes, as I began to turn to him. As he asked a question, we had something in common. I said, hey, do you know that I serve a God that can heal? I serve a God who can do miracles. And we began to hold hands right there. I put my arm around him. I said, come on, John. Come on, John. I'm going to pray with you and believe that your dad would receive life and healing and power. And right there, not in a church, not in a camp, not in a vacation Bible school, right there together, side by side. In a golf course, I was able to share my faith and my God with John, who had never known him before. And story after story on the sidelines of UBC right here, on the sidelines of soccer, <laughs> soccer games, basketball games, get up next to and get invited in. One of my favorite things to, for people to say about me is, is there's something different about you. I need to hang around you more, and they have no idea what I'm doing. Why? Because hopefully the love of God is oozing off my life. The anointing of God is oozing off my life. That There's something that then invites me in. We've got to get invited in. You follow me? You can be seated. You can be seated. Because i got to move. i got to move. Because this last one, this last one, we got to turn. we got to turn. we got to turn over just a couple of chapters over to John, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3. 
That first one was isolation and lonely. The second one is awkward. And i got to do this quickly. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1, let, let's just read down to verse 8. It says this, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried. They laid him daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to receive some of these alms, some of these benevolence, some of these gifts. Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Leaping up, standing up, walking, he entered the temple, beginning to walk and praise God. I want you to see that sharing our faith, making it final, is not just lonely like it was on the desert road with the Ethiopian. It is also uncomfortable and awkward. Why? I want, hey, my buddy, come back, come back. I need a lame man now, right? I need a guy in a chariot, now I need a lame man. When I'm talking lame, I'm not talking about somebody that plays on Facebook all day. I'm just talking about a lame man that his legs don't work, so he's just flat right there, just flat on the ground. Yep, he's the lame man. Here is the awkward part of the story. Peter and John, biblically, as we look through research, go into the temple two to three times a day. The Bible says that this lame man was laid at the steps of the church, the temple, daily. So do you know how many times in their lives they probably walked by this lame man? Oh, they were probably full of their pious, religious, oh, we, we love God, everyone else is a loser. And they probably just walked by, loser, right? He's lame, he ain't got nothing, he doesn't have what we have. There's no telling how many times he walked by this lame man, walked by this lame man, morning, noon, and night, he walked by this lame man. So the awkward part of this story is what? They finally realized that there was something about this man that needed help, and they had access to the power to give it to him. I want you to see tonight, church, that literally your mission field is only steps away from the doors of this church. It's not just, oh, it is India. It's not just Pakistan. It's not just Africa. It's not just North America, South America. Literally, the mission of God is steps away. And Peter and John began to see this. They literally, they walked out the steps of the church. There was their mission filled. And on this day, something transacted in their life, and it woke Peter up. It was the same thing that woke Philip up, wasn't it? It was the Spirit. The Spirit was now moving in the back book of Acts. He was getting into Philip and getting into Peter and John. And Peter looks down at this man, reaching out. He's like, whoa, 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 what? Whoa, wait a second. There's something in me that can help you. And he reaches down to him. Come on, just sit up right here. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't have silver gold what you're wanting. I don't have breadcrumbs. I don't have biscuits and gravy. That'll do this right here. I don't have waffles. I don't have bananas. I don't have any nuts. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. And he reaches down and begins to pull him up. And watch this. As he pulls him up, strength comes in his legs. And he stands up. And walks, watch this, not back out to the public, but inside to the church. <laughs> uh, this is powerful because sometimes we miss this, right? Sometimes we think that those people are meant to stay out there. But Peter and John raised up a lame man and brought him into the church. And the Bible said the whole church rejoiced and celebrated and new life was found. Why? Because a lame man now had legs and could walk. And the Bible says that this dude had life. Following me? And this is what's so awkward, is that Peter engaged in a conversation that he had never been in before. 
awkward. And so it is, you will say there, so it is for you and me. You say, I've been co-working with this person for a long time. I've never brought up Jesus. Well, now it's time to start the awkward conversation. Oh, I've been hanging out with my wife or kids or family or went to the family reunion and I've never had this conversation. So it was with Peter. He started the conversation and it was awkward. And then second, Peter had to have the awkward reach as he reached out and touched this guy. And you know what America needs today is some more touch. They need some more feel. Why? Because most Americans are isolated in their little phone, their little bubble, and they don't have that touch. They don't have that love. And so we've got to reach out awkwardly, put our arms around people in society that need God and reach out and touch them. And watch this. As Peter and John reached out, the miracle came as they pulled up. You know why we're not seeing miracles in our church anymore? Because we're not reaching out and pulling up. Me and Peter just didn't say, hey, get up and walk. He reached out and pulled up, and it was awkward. Do you think really when Peter reached out his hand that he knew that guy was going to walk? I bet if he was like me, there's probably some doubt. He was like, oh God, you better come through right now. God, you better come through. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to look like a fool. They're going to put me on YouTube and I'm going to go viral. This is going to be really bad, God. But as he reached, the faith came and the strength came. And this man rose up and walked through an awkward conversation, through an awkward reach. And there was an awkward transaction. This dude found life, and he didn't walk back into the world. He walked back into the church. And this is our job and responsibility. If our faith is going to become final, if we're going to what? Study the word and do the word, share the word, you can be seated now. We've got to what? We've got to be people that fight through the loneliness and being alone. We've got to be people that fight through the awkwardness. Reach out our faith, have conversations, not get up on tables and chairs in a restaurant. But get up next to people. Talk to them. Find out their story. You know what people like to do the most? Talk about themselves. And if you just get up next to somebody for a little bit of time, come on, college students. If you're just finding some extra time, just get up to one of your friends. Maybe it's an international student that's moved in. Maybe it's a student from out of state. And just get up next to them and let them talk. You'll start to see some points of commonality. And through that commonality, you can open your mouth and you can share the good news. You can share your testimony. You can share his story. You can do something incredible through God. Because why? God wants to win your school more than you do. God wants to change the city more than we do. God wants to resurrect America more than we do. His love for all those people is deeper than us. But we've got to, full circle, go back and be like that South Alabama lawyer. We've got to go back and we've got to be like that missionary that goes to India. We've got to be like that, come on, lawyer in West Virginia. We've got to be possessed by him with a purpose and responsibility to take our faith and share it. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Worship team, if you want to come. Tonight, this is what I want to do. I went just eight minutes over what I really targeted to do, and I apologize for that, but I want us to spend these next few moments in prayer. I want us tonight to pray for two things. Number one, I want us to pray that everyone in this room would receive that burden, that purpose, that responsibility, that we would break through the awkwardness and we would break through the isolation and loneliness and that we would find purpose and responsibility that is bigger than how we feel, bigger than how we look, that we would step out of our boxes and begin to move. I want us tonight to have a burden for lost people. I want us to have a burden for family members. I want us to have that burning sense inside of us that keeps us up late and gets us up early and makes us work harder than naturally we want to do. There's something inside of us that burns for people of different color, for the low and impoverished, for the people that are in the greatest need, for 
honestly, the people who have even sometimes the greatest influence that have it all and they think they don't need a God, yet they're the ones that almost need it most. The God would begin to burn in our heart people and family that tonight God would put on you a passion, a responsibility to share your faith so that your faith can become final. And then second, I want us to pray that the Spirit would invade us like he did Philip like he did Peter and John, and that the Spirit would lead us and guide us and give us those gifts that we talked about, that fruit and those gifts that would propel us to move us to do supernatural things. So right now, right where you're at, if you need to get up and you need to move, if you need to come to the front, if you need to stand against the wall, I just want us to take five minutes here, and I want us to pray down a passion and a burden. God, that right now, come on, church, begin to move. If you need to move, find a place. If you need to turn around your seat and kneel at your chair, whatever it is that you can connect with God now, begin to move and do that. And I ask God that now, in the next five minutes, that you would erupt in our lives a passion. Maybe more than a passion, God, a possession. That we would be so concerned with lost people. A burden, God, a burden. A burden, God. For all races. For all religions. May we see Muslims come to you. May we see Hindus come to you. May we see in my town, may we see Mormons come to you. Father, would you begin to move upon the atheist hearts, God? The drug dealers, the prostitutes, the, the, the ones that are alcoholics, the ones that are tempted to move out in lust and perversion. Father, would you begin to drop those people in our hearts and may we have a passion for them. Come on, church, let's begin to pray. Let, let's call down that purpose. Let's call down that responsibility. God, do it in our hearts and our lives. Passion and purpose. A possession, God.
And then God's going to give you random people that are just going to show up in your life. Like, where did this person come from? And you're going to be next to them. And you're going to have conversations. And through the awkwardness and the loneliness, feel like you're all by yourself. The Spirit's going to move on you. And you're going to have a conversation that God's going to give you the words to say. You say, I don't know what to say. He will help you open your mouth and share the good news. Come on, God. Show us the people. Show us the places. Give us the boldness. Give us the Spirit, God.
And we all know the Spirit's in us when we receive Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit's there. And this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Often we say it wrong in songs. Oh, I could speak forever, and I know I've already done it. I'll probably never be invited back to Laramie Wyoming again, but I'm going to give it to you right now because this is what we sing. Holy Spirit, come down. Fall on us. Come down. That's actually wrong. Why? Because when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's actually a coming out. We're asking the Spirit that's already in us to come out of us. And as it comes out, we begin to speak in these untangible words, and God begins to take authority and power over our lives, and that's when we become possessed. So, when I was a middle school student, I thought when I was going to go forward and receive the baptism of the Spirit, that there was going to be this like leprechaun in Lucky Charms, you know, the little green guy, that he was going to come down, he was going to yab it, yab it, do, yab it, yab it, do, yab and I was just going to do this. And he was going to do it all. No, no, no. The Spirit speaks through me as I speak the words. So it's my words with the Spirit that connects to speak the heartbeat of God. Those tongues that you speak are actual language unto him. And those tongues have to come from my heart through the Spirit as I speak them out. I tell teenagers this all the time. If you're going to be baptized in the Spirit with speaking tongues, you have to open your mouth. I have 60 students standing in a prayer line, and they're like this. You'll never be baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking of the tongues. It's like, it's like somebody got some wire and wired all kind of. No, no, no. You gotta open your mouth. And God will beautifully, like that fountain we talked about today, that unquenchable spirit, He will come in and He will give you a beautiful language to begin to speak. I promise you there'll be so much freedom there, so much freedom, and God's Spirit will begin to take over your life, and that tongue will become your prayer language from now on. Not just the one time you did, but forever. You will begin to walk in his spirit and presence and that spirit will become a gateway for you to be used in all of those miracles and all of those gifts. And so tonight, I just felt like as we began to pray for our friends and our neighbors, it would be foolish of us if we didn't offer you the spirit, the baptism of the spirit to empower us and go. So as you continue to pray, we're not going to make a big deal about it. If you're here and you say, I want the Spirit, I want you to just slip up out of your chair and come stand up here. Pastor Matt, myself, my, my wife Janelle, Pastor Melody, we'll all come up here and we will pray for you to receive the Spirit. And here's what often scares us about the Spirit. We often think of the abuses of it. Like when you're filled with the Spirit, you start shaking like your electric chair. You're doing all this and you got to get on the floor and plop like a fish. Or you got to bark like a dog or bark like a chicken. When Jesus received the Spirit, John chapter 1, verse 33, it said the Spirit came down like a dove. Can you picture a dove coming down? A dove would come down off a crazy, funky chicken neck. Come on, a dove would come down gracefully, majestically, and powerfully. And the Bible says the Spirit came down and set on Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And that's what He wants to do tonight. You don't have to balk like a chicken. You don't have to squawk like a dog. No, 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 no. You are baptized in His power, in His beautiful, in His majestic, and His precious. Follow me. So I'm about to put down this mic for the very last time and we'll pick it up again. This room tonight is open for us to intercede for Laramie, for our friends, our schools, our hospitals, our homes. And if through that you want the Spirit, we want you to come stand up here and we'll pray for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray.